There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast, your guide to the fundamentals of better deer hunting. And now, your host, Tony Peterson. Hey everyone, welcome to the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast, which is brought to you by First Light. This week's episode is dedicated to understanding one of the key factors that dictates nearly every day of a buck's life, hunger. One of the things I've noticed as I get deeper and deeper into my whitetail career is that I find myself thinking about deer food more and more. This is probably because I usually don't wait for the rut to solve my unfilled tag problems, which means most of what I'm concerned with deer-wise is what are they going to eat on a daily basis and where are they going to do it in a way that keeps them safe. That's what this week's show is all about, and I think it's a good one because no matter where you hunt them, understanding what's on a buck's menu throughout the season is usually the key to staying in the game and having more encounters. Hey everybody, welcome to the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast brought to you by First Light. I'm your host, Tony Peterson. Today's show is all about the groceries. We are right in the middle of the summer when there is more deer food out there than there will be at any time of the year. This is a prime time to take a good look around to see what the deer in your neighborhood should be mowing down on during various parts of the hunting season. These groceries will play into your scouting plans, your hunting plans, and just about every decision you make deer-wise. It's also intel that you can build off of in future years. If you know or suspect a banging acorn crop this season, for example, You've been there and done that in the years past. An ever-evolving understanding of current deer food, along with past experiences on how deer used available calorie sources, will really help you round out a higher-level hunting game. This is because bucks live by their stomach for like 49 weeks each year. While the will to live and the drive to pass on their genes can override their immediate needs for some calories, nothing is as constant in a deer's life as food. He might alter the time of day he eats due to hunting pressure, but he's going to eat. The only time he might go really hungry for a few days or longer is during the heart of the rut. But for most of the hunting season, you've got to understand the food sources you're dealing with. And even during the rut, 
The does aren't going to step out of the buffet line, which means you know where the bucks will often concentrate some of their searching, concentrate some of their searching because it's going to be around food sources, even if their motivation isn't about getting a belly full of clover or corn. To start with this process, it's a good idea to break down food sources into two meaningful categories, destination and seasonal, or you could say primary and secondary, I guess. Destination food sources are the easiest to understand, especially if you hunt anywhere near agriculture. But it's not as simple as driving along the edge of your chosen hunting grounds and eyeballing a nearby soybean field or a cornfield. You've got to consider all the big food options available and then factor that into what it means later on for actual hunting. This is going to vary depending on the region that you hunt. We all know the typical ag offerings in the Midwest and much of the East, but what about Western whitetails? This might be a giant irrigated alfalfa field, or maybe just a hay field that's cut a few times a year for horses. Maybe you've got access to a milo field or sorghum. Maybe sunflowers will factor into your hunt. What if you're down south? Maybe peanuts will factor into your hunt. Understanding what you have to work with at home and when you head out on the road matters a lot when it comes to hunting whitetails. For example, there's nothing I love personally more than green soybeans in early to mid-September. I honestly don't think there's a better draw for bucks, and nothing sets you up for an opening weekend kill better. If you got access to a soybean field, then you know that in the early season it is highly likely that the bucks will end up there throughout the night. But what if the neighbor has a nice lush alfalfa field? And what if you've planted a food plot that is full of white clover or some other deer munchies? Then it's all about the effort it takes to get to various food sources and how much pressure will be concentrated on them. Deer are browsers, which means they eat a lot of different stuff and they seem to like options in their diet just like us. This means that with that soybean field, if there are other quality early season food sources around, that field might go from like a 10 to a 7, which is still pretty good. You know that it's very likely the bucks on your farm are going to end up there at some point and probably originate from there in the morning. That's a good thing to know. But if that soybean field is the only field within three miles, then it's a different story. Now you can turn it up to 11. You might as well get ready to call your taxidermist and prepay for a shoulder mount. But that dynamite opening weekend field will yellow up. And I don't care what anybody says. A yellow field is less of a draw. You can often find low spots or shady areas in the field that will stay green longer. It's, this is a short window situation, though, and it can be unbelievable for concentrating bucks. But either way, they will feed in the yellow soybeans, but just not the same level of intensity as if they were green. But again, this is affected by availability of other food sources. The good news is that yellow stage dies pretty quickly, and they turn brown and dry up. Brown beans are good, and they only get better if you've got a nice drizzle to hunt them in. Deer really seem to like their brown soybean soggy, which sounds weird, I know, but trust me on this. And of course, the whole time that hypothetical soybean field is maturing, the season is moving right along. This is an important consideration because a rock-solid destination food source can go downhill and then spring back up, or it could completely be abandoned for a secondary food source that is either coming on strong due to timing or showing up in the form of master browse. One source that varies wildly and seems to come and go is corn. When corn is in its milky stage, often in the late summer, the deer will walk along and rip the stalks off, eating a bite here or there, and generally driving farmers nuts with this behavior. You see this a lot when you're glassing row crops in the summer. You might also see black bears doing this if you're anywhere near them, because they really, really love the milky stage of corn, and they are a special kind of destructive 
during this stage. By the time the bow season opens, that milky corn stage is often gone. And the deer will still eat corn, especially if it's the best choice they've got. But that depends a lot on how mature the crop is. Sometimes corn remains a huge draw throughout the season. Other times, it tends to ramp up in attractiveness with the peaks occurring as soon as it's combined. And then throughout the later season when the temperatures drop. The good news about this, just like with a food plot you planted yourself, is this is easy stuff to see and to file away for later use. One good walk right now out there on your hunting grounds can tell you everything you need to know about the agriculture you're dealing with. Take note of the fields on the properties you can hunt and any you can see on places you can't hunt. This base level destination food source knowledge will factor into your stand locations all season long. Pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service. It's called the Wellness Company. Picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever. And you weigh your options like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work, try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months, wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of sick, sick folks, or you open your medical emergency kit. You match your symptoms to the doctor-recommended prescription, and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits, not a first aid kit, all right? It comes with doctor-prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So, on hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor. No waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at urgentcarekit.com slash eater and use promo code MEATEATER. That's promo code MEATEATER at urgentcarekit.com slash eater. Hey, everybody knows Weber Grills. I've been using Weber Grills my whole life, and check it out. They got a pellet grill, the Weber Searwood Pellet Grill. Now, with a pellet grill, you can smoke, roast, and sear what I like to do on the same grill. You can go from low and slow, okay, on smoke boost mode, which gives you great smoke at 180 degrees, or crank this thing all the way to a heat sear at 600 degrees, it's got a full, great sear zone, so you can put more food on the flame. This, this, this is my way of bull saying If I was going to cook roast one way, that's how I like to do it, sear roast. Utilize the smoke boost setting to intensify that smoky flavor. Direct flame cooking creates searing, crisping, and browning. Food's going to look as good as it tastes. This grill gets hot in 15 minutes. Cleanup is easy. Cook confidently with intuitive digital controls at the grill. And enjoy the sleek, easy-to-use surface. You can also add a heavy-duty rotisserie or rust-resistant griddle insert to up your game. Get fired up for your new Weber Searwood pellet grill. But what do you do if you aren't anywhere near a big soybean field or a cornfield? What if you hunt up in wolf country by Canada or some of the giant chunks of timber down south? Then you've got your work cut out for you, but that's okay. Nothing is more rewarding than tagging a big woods buck that you patterned yourself while competing against a litany of two- and four-legged predators. Food sources in those regions tend to fall into the browse category. 
and browse is a moving target. It's also the kind of secondary food source that you need to be aware of. The biggies, those destination food sources that we already talked about, they're the easy ones. These secondary food sources, this here-today, gone-tomorrow food sources, they're different. And knowledge of them really separates the deer killers from the squirrel watchers. Where I hunt in northern Wisconsin, for example, I've come to realize that it's not as important for me to know exactly what plants the deer are keying on as much as it is to know where they'll be keying on browse. Soft edges and clear cuts are huge for this. Just about any spot where two types of cover meet, typically new growth and old growth, will feature a browse line of some sort. These are also just natural travel routes and often used as bedding areas as well. They are also often visible on satellite imagery, but it's always worth getting in to see them in person. The same goes for areas with slight elevation changes. Low, swampy ground that butts up to a higher woods will usually feature a browse line or at least have the potential to become a browsing area at some point in the fall. Satellite imagery is huge for identifying these spots, but you got to get in, you got to walk them. Again, this isn't necessarily about identifying the perfect to-die-for food source that comes in on October 5th and disappears a week later. It's about identifying the places bucks are most likely to spend time during daylight in a quest to quiet the rumble in their bellies and not become a food source themselves. I personally think deer that live off of mostly browse are the toughest to kill because they tend to be low-density, low-visibility critters that don't have a lot of predictability to them. But when you hunt areas where the primary food source is whatever's blooming or appealing this week, then you really learn to focus on areas that deer generally like to be. Eventually, you find those spots that are also the places where big bucks prefer. And that's the foundation of developing a big woods pattern a lot of times that is based around the groceries. And you're probably thinking, okay, but what about mast? Can I just find a few oak trees and wait for them to rain nutty goodness down? Uh, yes and no. You should scout for oak trees if they're available in your area. You absolutely should. You should know how to identify white oaks with their rounded lobe leaves versus red oaks with their pointed leaves. And you should understand why white oaks could be on fire in October, while the red oak acorns with their increased tannin levels might not factor in until December when it's time to munch on the table scraps. Understand that specific trees don't drop every single season. This means that throughout your summer scouting, you should pay close attention to which oak trees are actually filling up with acorns versus the ones that aren't. Mast investigation is something you can do right now. And you can file away that data for later, like early October, when you're wondering where the hell the bucks have gone. Mast can be unbelievable, especially on public land where destination food sources either don't exist or if they do exist, they get hunted so hard no self-respecting deer bigger than a button buck would step out on it in the daylight. I think for the hunter who shares the woods with a lot of other hunters, keeping your finger on the pulse of mast, both hard and soft mast, is the best bet for having good productive sits all season long. Row crops and typical agriculture, those are low-hanging fruit, pun intended. Anyone with a common sense God gave a toad knows the deer will come to a bean field to eat. That oak ridge that draws in deer only for a short time frame or maybe the pattern where maple leaves fall after a hard frost and they get gobbled up by the deer. That's a different story. You've got to know when and where that is likely to happen and then take advantage of it in the moment, just like the deer do. This is the kind of woodsmanship that does really separate the folks who fill tags from the folks who want to. It's also the best evidence in the strong argument that paying attention while you're on stand and glassing a lot is a 
better way to spend your time than sliding into some stranger's Instagram DMs like a creeper. The hard part about all of this is looking at the woods in August, looking at it right now, and then shining up the old crystal ball to decide when some oaks or apple trees will be the ticket, or when the persimmon situation is going to be on fire, or maybe the grapes or the elderberries or some other soft mast. Right now, you probably can't know that. You can know where those spots are, which is a good start. You can also hedge your bets on seasonality of some of the mast food sources. Acorns, for example, in at least much of the whitetail range, will be a September or October option. Maple leaves will come into play much closer to the rut when the hard frost really start to get consistent. And aside to all of this mast talk is something that I'm just absolutely convinced of, is that both hard and soft mast options often contribute to that feeling that the October lull is real. There are other factors going on there, of course. But when the fields have been hunted hard, the leaves are falling and the woods are becoming more open by the day, and there is a bounty of here-today-gone-tomorrow food back in the security cover, it only makes sense that the deer would eat where they feel safest. Just like with water sources. Food sources that allow the bucks to stay in their comfort zone are always better ambush sites. The goal with all of this is to plug in various pieces that could come into play with natural deer movement come fall. Understand the biggies, like destination food sources and when they should be the biggest attractions for the deer. That'll tell you where the deer are going to end up at night and start from in the morning. Sometimes that's all you need to know to fill a tag, but that's also just a starting point for a lot of us. The secondary seasonal food sources are the ones that really allow you to pin down season-long ambush sites. These are the ones that you should be looking at for right now that you can really wrap your head around those areas you're most likely to hunt when the hunting gets tough. And, and even if they aren't season-long, like a good funnel or a pinch point, if you have a series of them or you have enough of them, you can fill up an entire season. Even though this one food source will, will be hot this week and not next week, you have something to move on to throughout that entire season. And as you're out there right now and you're wandering around looking for these spots, take notes, not only of the primary food sources out there, but especially of the potential secondary food sources. Drop some waypoints. Give yourself a chance. Give yourself a picture of what it's likely to be available to the deer throughout the season. So you can call up an in-the-moment strategy or at least have enough information to go do a little in-season scouting to see if your food source hunches were spot on or not. This gives you the chance to make better decisions throughout the season based on what could be drawing in the bucks this very week or that very week. This is a crucial strategy for public land hunters, as well as anyone who hunts private ground with plenty of competition. But it's also something worth considering even if you own your own piece of dirt or have exclusive access to some ground through a lease or through permission. In fact, these two scenarios right there, they're the ones that often give us license to be a little lazy because we think that we only need to wait for the deer to come to the destination food and then it's over. Anyone who has hunted mature bucks for a few years knows that's far from a sure thing, even on really good deer ground. Those private land bucks will sit back and they'll eat white acorns just as much as a public land deer would. And you can bet if there's one little patch of ripe persimmons, they're going to know about it. They'll know about the apple tree that's dropping and they'll get in there after a front blows through and the gusty winds shake a bunch of Granny Smiths free. This is their world, even if we have the key to the gate and knowing how they fill their bellies by the day is real important. 
So get out there now and start making a grocery list. And keep listening to this podcast because next week is all about trail camera recon and what to do with all of those images and videos you've been capturing all summer long. That's all I got for you this week, my whitetail-loving friends. Be sure to tune in next week as we move from deer groceries back into the world of trail cameras to decide how to use all of the images and videos we're getting. I'm Tony Peterson, and this has been Wired to Hunt Foundation's podcast. As always, thank you so much for listening, and we will see you right here next week. Hey, if you guys like to cook outdoors and you ought to, you should check out the Weber Slate Rust-Resistant Griddle. So this is a carbon steel cooktop that's safe for metal tools. It's pre-seasoned with food-safe oils and ready to cook on right out of the box. It's the griddle that stays ready, not rusty. This griddle heats evenly edge to edge, reaching all the way up to 500 degrees. Get fired up for your new Weber Slate rust-resistant griddle. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more.